You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, if there's any kids in the room, forgive me. Uh, you may want to cover their ears. I'm going to hit Santa Claus pretty bad here in, uh, in just a moment. I don't remember, uh, well, I, I do remember. I don't know if you remember how old you were when you found out the truth about good old St. Nick, but I certainly do. I was in first grade sitting, there he is, very suspicious looking, right? I was in uh, first grade sitting in the living room, and I, was think, I think I was watching a, a Nickelodeon show of some sort, and the show, one of the characters was making fun of the, uh, the, the reality, the existence of Santa Claus. And I remember kind of sitting there thinking, uh, uh, kind of pondering uh, maybe some of the rumors I had heard in elementary school and some of the things I'd heard on the playground all of a sudden start to kind of hit me. And I, I, I paused for a second and I shouted. My mom was in the kitchen. I shouted to my mom. I finally said, Mom, is Santa Claus actually real? And I remember a long pause. She, she walks over, and I could just see the pain on her face. And she finally decides to tell me the truth about old St. Nick. And she essentially says, yeah, he's, he's not real. Now, I remember it's a, it's a bit of a, we might say, a core memory now. Uh, I remember she, she walked out of the room, and I just kind of sat there completely stunned. I felt like my, my, my world was just not right, like everything was, was coming undone. Now, eventually, uh, a decade later, I, I guess I've recovered. Uh, I became a Christian in college, and uh, I remember I started thinking a little bit more about Santa Claus when I was uh, a freshman or a, a sophomore in college, and I've come to conclude that not only is Santa Claus uh, fake, but he is, in fact, also a gospel-denying, stoic legalist who claims some level of omniscience. Let me just, exp- let me just explain this morning by, by citing some famous lyrics that we all know and, and be a little bit reflective as you, as you hear these lyrics. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Now that's scary. You're not allowed to have emotions. <laughs> you better stiffen up. You better prepare yourself for his, his arrival. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Also pretty scary. He's omniscient. He's making a list and checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. No good news there either. He's all-knowing, and he's coming only to reward the good, which means we're, we're all in trouble because we're all, we're all sinners, right? So, so not great news by any level. Probably not a good guy. I mean, if you look at him, probably not a good guy, but, but who knows? Anyways, uh, end rant. I, I hope I didn't just ruin anything for you. All the power to you if you want to celebrate Santa Claus. But this morning, I mentioned all this because we are looking at a famous story connected to Christmas, connected to the birth of Jesus. It's the story of the wise men. And just a warning, I hope I don't ruin anything for you all as well here. I hope I don't ruin too much. Because when we think about this story, and we think about our Christmas carols, 
and we think about our nativity scene, and we think about our, our Christmas plays and our Christmas pageant, there's a lot that's been added to that story by tradition and by culture throughout the years. All the power to you if you want to celebrate all of those traditions and you want to deck your nativity scene out with the shepherds and the, and the wise men. All the power to you. But this morning we're going to dive into this story and we're going, to, we're going to see what it's actually all about. What it's actually all about. Now the point of the story, to, to, to cut to the chase, my main idea is going to be up on the screen. And it's really the, the main idea of this text, but also the main idea of this brief message. And it's this. The king has come. The king has come. As we march towards Christmas, the story of the wise men is going to remind us this morning that the king has come. Not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the nations. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is not a day old, and what we see is that the shepherds, these Jewish shepherds, they, they come to worship him out in the fields, you remember, if you're familiar with the story. But here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is a tad bit older. And the first people we see worshiping him are these Persian mystics who come from the east. It's all reminding us of something, that God has come. That God has come and he invites all of us to know him this morning, to worship him this morning, to love him in spirit in truth. My points are going to be up on the screen. It's going to be pretty straightforward this morning. Number one, what actually happened? We'll look at the story. We'll kind of go through it. Number two, what can we learn? And then number three, how do we respond? What's the story all about? What can we learn? And how do we respond? Now, if you grew up in church, or if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you'll remember that Mary was engaged to Joseph. And she realizes uh, sometime during the engagement that she is pregnant. They've not been fooling around, but the Holy Spirit somehow has, been given, has, has given them a baby. And Joseph at first thinks, rightly so, maybe she's cheated on him, so he plans to quietly divorce her. But as he's sleeping, he gets this dream. And no doubt this dream is from God. And in the dream, this angel of the Lord shows up, and the angel says, Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. A child from the child that the, the, the child she's pregnant with is from the Spirit of God, not from somebody else. The angel says, Name him Jesus, as we remember, because he's going to save his people from their sins. Now they get married, and Mary gives birth, and it's the greatest miracle in the world. In the birth of Jesus, he's both God and both man. He's one person with two natures, both 100% God and 100% man. On his mother's side, he's mortal, but on his father's side, he's eternal. On his mother's side, he's, he's hungry. He gets hungry, but on his father's side, he feeds the multitude. On his mother's side, he gets thirsty, but on his father's side, he is the living water. On his mother's side, he gets emotional. He weeps at the death of Lazarus. But on his father's side, he raises him from the dead. On his mother's side, he gets sleepy. He falls asleep on the boat. But on his father's side, he calms the winds and the waves. His mom sees his agony on the cross. But on his father's side, on the third day, he rises from the dead. There will never be another Jesus Christ. He's not one among many this morning. He's the one and only 
the greatest miracle in the world, and he's come to give us life. Now, around the time Jesus is born, there's also a guy, if you remember from the Christmas story, maybe some of you grew up in church, there's also a guy named Herod. And Herod's in charge. He's the king of Judea. He's been, he's been essentially appointed by the Roman Senate to rule over Judea. He's the king of the Jews. He's technically Jewish, but we, we might call him very secular. He's very well acquainted with the Old Testament because he knows that in order to keep power, he needs to have some handle on this book. But other than that, he's a pretty bad guy. And this really all sets the stage, both the, the birth, this miraculous birth of Jesus, and this guy Herod. This really sets the stage this morning for our text as we dive in. Really our first point this morning, what actually happened. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Matthew says, behold, which essentially means look, see, isn't this amazing? He says, after Jesus was born in the time of Herod, behold, look, see, isn't this amazing? Wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. They were looking for the one who's been born, the king of the Jews. They had seen his star in the sky and they came to worship him. Now, like I said, I don't want to ruin anyone's Christmas carols or anyone's nativity scene or Christmas plays this morning, but there is a lot that we don't know about these wise men. There's a lot that we don't know about who these wise men actually were. Some tradition says that there's three, Balthazar, Melchior, and Casper, but the three numbers probably just based on the fact that there's three gifts given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's actually a good chance that there were more wise men. But what we do know is that this term wise men means, means magi. And back then, ma back then, magi from the east were experts in astrology, in the interpretation of dreams, in spirituality. They were well-versed in math, in history, in agriculture. They were mystics. They were considered the well-learned, the high intellectuals of the day, we might say, the wise. And the text tells us that somehow these Persian mystics from probably modern-day Iran or Iraq, these Persian mystics, somehow they knew about the Jewish prophecies about a king, a king who would come from Judea, that a Messiah, that a Christ would be born. And miraculously, somehow they see this star in the sky, and they piece together that the Christ has come. Now, how would these Persian mystics, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Judea, how would they know this? Well, again, we really don't know. But there's almost no doubt that they would have been familiar with the writings of the prophet Daniel, the Jewish prophet who writes the book of Daniel. Daniel, if you remember, was a captive in the East hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And in the book of Daniel, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah, the timing, who he would be his characteristics. They would have known, likely, these writings. Or it's almost guaranteed that they would have been familiar with other texts of the Old Testament, books that predict the coming of the Messiah, like one in the book of Numbers that, that mentions a star and a scepter rising out of Judea. They would have likely known these books. They would have likely known about these predictions, and so they come. But notice their knowledge is not perfect. 
Their knowledge is not complete. God's led them there by a star, by with what limited knowledge they have, but they're in the wrong spot. They've come to Jerusalem. The Messiah doesn't come from Jerusalem. It's just the capital, and so the passage goes on. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So the Magi have arrived. They've, they've come to Jerusalem. They're saying they've seen the sign. They've come to worship the king of the Jews. But they're asking, where is he? Where is he? And Herod hears this, and he's troubled. He's probably not troubled because he actually believes this. He's troubled because he thinks that people are being duped into thinking that this book is real. And if they're duped, they're going to make some random person their king. So he's got to shut that down pretty quick. Jerusalem, you also notice, is troubled as well. Maybe they're not ready to face their Messiah, verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. That is, Herod wants to know the answer to the question of where is he? He doesn't know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. So he gets the experts here in the Old Testament to tell him, verse 5. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The priests and the scribes, these experts in the Bible, tell him the Messiah is predicted to come out of Bethlehem, and they quote a prophecy out of the book of Micah. After this, Herod listens to them, and then he sends them, he sends them off. And then he's going to call the wise men back to meet with him. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He's trying to figure it out. Was this a couple days ago? Was this a couple weeks ago? Was this a couple years ago? What was it? Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Obviously a ruse, a scheme. He's not actually interested in worshiping him. He's very hostile to him, but the wise men are unaware. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went above, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Talk about pinpointing a location. They leave Jerusalem and the star shows up again and it leads them right to Jesus. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they finally get there. This is likely anywhere from a few weeks to perhaps almost two years from the, the scene of the shepherds with, with baby Jesus in the, in the manger with no room at the inn. But when they see him, these astrologists, these, these mystics, these intellectuals, they bow down before him. They worship him, and they give him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts that celebrate that this is the final prophet, this is the final priest, this is the final king. And in verse 12, the story ends. God intervenes once more, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, I don't think that ruins too much for us this morning. All the power to you if you want to put the wise men in your nativity scene or you want to sing the first Noel or We Three Kings. But we should be asking, what do we learn from this 
story. What do we learn from this account? Which really leads me to my second point this morning. What can we learn? What can we learn? I think this account essentially teaches us three things. Three things that we can learn from this particular text of scripture. First, the first thing is that God uses all types of things to draw people to himself. God uses all types of things to draw people to himself. A special star in the sky is normally not something that God uses to reveal himself. And astrology is definitely not something that the Bible is all about. But for whatever reason, God is using a star on these mystics to get their attention. He lets something in their world be used to draw them in. And the same is true for you today, this morning. So many of you can praise God this morning for all the things he did in your life to line up signs that would lead you to him, that would bring you home. All the coincidences, all the coincidences you now know are not random. All the blessings he put in your life that made you finally look to him. All the pain that he allowed in your life that would ultimately allow you to look to him for help. C.S. Lewis reminds us, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pain. Or just a general sense in your heart that there was more. God's been at work. He's good. And he's used so much to open our eyes, to lead us to him. And this morning, perhaps you're here, and you've been starting to realize that God has been putting signs, he's been putting stars in your life to draw you to him. You're starting to realize that things in life aren't so random, that there really is no such thing as coincidences, that there's so much more out there. The good news this morning is that there is. God perhaps is seeking you, seeking you to come home and to know him, to believe in him, to trust him. Which really leads me to my second thing that this account teaches. God uses his word to bring us home. God uses his word to bring us home. Notice that while God uses signs, he uses star, and the magi follow it, they still didn't have the full picture. They go to Jerusalem, but it's the wrong place. And so they have to open up the word. They have to open up the scriptures, and then they learn that it's Bethlehem. The prophecies say Bethlehem. And then they make their way there, and then the star appears again, and then they finally, finally come home to Jesus. They finally meet the king. It's a great reminder for us this morning that while the heavens declare the glory of God, to enter into a relationship with God means that we have to meet him on his own terms, which means we have to experience the Jesus as described by his word, revealed by his spirit. You have to meet the Jesus who is described by his word, empowered by his spirit. Because when you do, you'll be just like these wise men who experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Romans reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The stars in our lives can point us to God, but it's only the scriptures empowered by his spirit that can bring us home. Third, another thing we learn from this Magi account is that the wisdom of this world bows to the wisdom of God. The wisdom of this world bows to the wisdom of God. At the time, these mystics were thought to be the smartest, the wisest, the cleverest, the most learned people of their day, the intellectuals of their time. And yet notice, they fall down 
and they worship this baby. It's God putting on display a, a principle all throughout history. And the principle is this, that the wisdom of God makes the wisdom of the world look foolish. The wisdom of man is strength, it's beauty, it's conquest, it's money, it's power, it's shrewdness. But the wisdom of God is weakness, it's self-giving, it's sacrifice. The scriptures remind us there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was no room for him in the inn. In Christianity, the way up is ultimately down. The way you change is by surrender. The way you grow is by dying. Religion ultimately is outside in, external conformity. But Christianity is transformation from the inside out. The world is achieve, achieve. Christianity is receive, receive. The mystics finally saw this. Astrology and knowledge and wealth couldn't save them. It wasn't going to be anything that they could do that would bring them to God. It was only going to be by what he was doing in the humility of his son that was going to give them life. It's a great reminder for us this morning that when you grasp who the child born in the manger really is, the things you thought of before as foolish will look wise, and the things you thought before as wise will seem foolish. Understanding who Jesus Christ really is, understanding who the one born in the manger really is, will forever change your understanding of what's wise and what's foolish. But it really depends on how we respond, which leads us to the third and final point we have this morning. How do we respond? How do we respond? Notice there's three unique responses in this text. Three unique responses to Jesus in this passage, and they model the different ways we can respond to him this morning. Hostility, indifference, or worship. Hostility, indifference, or worship. Notice Herod represents the hostile response. Verse 3 reminds us he's deeply troubled. His idols of control, of power, of reputation are threatened by another king. He's filled with doubts, and his obsession with this world blinds him for his need for a savior. And his response, of course, is to try to crush him, to reject him. Secondly, the priests and the scribes represent the indifference response. Notice when Herod asks them the, the birthplace of the Messiah, they know. Right away, they, they know the prophecies. They know the scriptures. They say it's Bethlehem, duh. But there's absolutely no interest in going to Bethlehem. There's no faith. There's no action associated with their knowledge. It's just knowledge. Their heads are better than their heart, we might say. They're completely indifferent. But finally, as we close this morning, notice the only right response, worship. Worship. And of course, the wise men represent the worship response. They walk in and they see this baby on the lap of a poor woman. And they worship him. They realize by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word that this is who they were looking for all of their lives, whether they knew it or not. And this morning, you can have that same experience. You can't have it by just looking at a nativity scene, but you can have it if you would look at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. 
but to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. At the cross of Christ, we see brilliantly the wisdom of God on display for us, that he would love us so much that he would give himself for us, that he would defeat evil once and for all by turning evil on its head, by, by reversing the exact effects of what the authors had intended and in bringing salvation for all. That through weakness is strength, that through dying is life, that through service is hope. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.